Hello, hello, everyone, and welcome to the 13th episode of the Wormburner podcast. I have a very, very, very special guest for you guys today. He is a YouTube football manager as well as a Twitch streamer, and he actually does professional broadcasting for the likes of the ACC, the NBC Rio Olympics, as well as the Pyongyang Olympics, and a few other reporting and play-by-play announcing off and on. Welcome to the show, Mr. Zeeland Shannon. Hey, what's up? <laughs> I, I, I feel like a character in Game of Thrones if, when the intro is that long. You know, they're just sitting there like, first of his name! <laughs> Yes, I apologize. I wanted to make sure and hit your highlights, though. That was for sure um, before we got into the recording itself. Oh, so, well, no, well, it's not a bad thing. I'll tell you. <laughs> exactly. I, 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 I could use more of the first his name, Slayer of Dragons. Yeah, that that that's good. Gets me out of bed in the morning. I I am for hire. No, I. <laughs> My alarm clock. <laughs> Thinking about putting that up on Craigslist, actually. Definitely. <laughs> Absolutely. So uh, for the interview, let's go ahead and start with a simple question. I actually don't know this being a fan and a watcher of your YouTube and Twitch. Do you have a favorite team? I don't. And that makes Twitter really fun because I can like dump on everybody and they can't hit me back. I'm like a ghost. Right. So (laughs) it's really, really nice. I've had multiple people actually be well. Like they'll they'll think I'm like a West Ham fan or something because uh, the, my my Twitch subscribers are they're called hammers for a long reason, uh, yes. but I'm not particularly. I got nothing against West Ham, but I'll I'll, I'll you know I, I think it's like two weeks ago I went after somebody I made a Tottenham joke which is really easy to do, yeah. And they came back to me and they and they went well you know West Ham hasn't done you know have fun in the Conference League or whatever. And I was like, oh, I'm not a West Ham fan either. Like, what? He was like, well, what fan are you? I'm like, oh, I'm not a fan of a team. And he went, well, that's just not fair. He <laughs> actually just said that. He had this moment of realization. He's like, well, I don't know how to fan anymore. I'm, I can't like go after him for anything. Now, I root for the U.S. national teams, but that is that is correct assumption. I don't actually have a club, and I I, I almost love it that way at this point. I actually have a friend of mine that th- that's the exact same way, and it irritates the crap out of me. <laughs> Because I can't say anything to him at all. <laughs> but I I completely understand where you're coming from, though. And I think that is the beauty of it as well, kind of seeing it from an unbiased point of view. And that that's just makes soccer all the more better, honestly. I get to watch matches without having a life or death rooting interest <laughs> in a side. It's just it's just the best way. It's the best way to live life. I'm already fans of all the Tampa sports teams and and and. and in, in a U.S. sports sense, so like the, the Lightning, the Bucks, the Rays, and so I already I I live and die with them. But when it comes to the soccer, I can just appreciate the game and however well it's going. Absolutely. So another question along the lines of that: If you could go to three soccer rivalry games around the world, mm. which three would you go to? I think the partisan Red Star rivalry in Serbia would Ooh, be on that list. Fantastic. That's one that I've I've always I think I've seen pictures and videos from it before, and it's something I would just I would just want to go to that. 
I would want to go to the old firm Derby Celtic Rangers. I think it's got a great old physical feel to it. Uh, and I just feel like that'd be a fun place in the world to go see a match, especially one that has that much um, like vitriol. And then the, the third, I don't have a ready-made answer for this third one, but okay. I think the, 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 what's it called? It's the, I don't know if it's El Clasico Sudamericano or something. It, it's um, the Super Clasico or whatever it is. Yeah. Argentina, Brazil. Oh, that oh, okay. Is, so you're talking yeah. international. I'm talking the international match between Argentina and Brazil. It has a name. I can't remember. <laughs> Google. Hold on. What <laughs> is the match between Argentina and Brazil called? It is, yeah, the Super Classico de las Americas. I'm sure ah. I absolutely nailed that. But the Super Classico between Brazil and Argentina, I would love to go to that too. I have never felt a strong association with the South American game, even though I've managed there and football manager a couple of times. It, it's absolutely. like wild and foreign to me. And Argentina, Brazil is like the biggest stage for that. And so I would love to, I would love to see that though. Yeah, it's it's definitely whenever I see videos of what's going on down in South America, just with anything soccer related, it's absolutely crazy. Like people are losing their minds. I remember and if you haven't checked out the series, there's a series called Derby Days that's done by Copa 90 and they do one over the Red Star Belgrade partisan rivalry. Mm. And for the one with the Super Classico with Boca Juniors and River Plate, there was a story in there that absolutely baffled me. A guy had gone to the game. I believe it was a Boca Juniors fan. He went to the game, saw his like hero and I playing. He, he then got so excited that he had a heart attack and died. Well, like, <clears throat> died happy. Yeah, exactly. I'm just like, holy cow. Like, that's just something that you don't see here in the United States. And to have that level of passion, it's just like, well, I know that the United States probably isn't going to get near that anytime soon. But it, it's a bit of a double-edged, a double-edged sword because I, I want to be excited, but hopefully not that excited, though. <laughs> yeah, that's so that's dangerous. <laughs> Yeah, it's it is slightly dangerous when it comes down to that. So, I have to ask, where does the your passion for soccer come from? Because I see when it comes to your resume that you have gone over a, a ton of different sports, but it seems in these later years you've really hyper focused on soccer. Mm. So, where does that come from? I well, the soccer focus was because I, there are not a lot of American broadcasters, especially at like the college level, that are comfortable talking about and broadcasting soccer. The circles of who becomes a play-by-play broadcaster and who is knowledgeable about soccer in the U.S. society just don't cross very much. Like everybody that's a play-by-play mm-hmm. broadcaster loves baseball, right? Like. And then there's hockey guys and there's, but there's just not, there's not yet a collection of soccer guys that are doing Mm -hmm. play by play in the U S just because like where play by play broadcasters and soccer guys generally come from are very different 
subsets of society for whatever reason. And so I really got, I, I didn't get pigeonholed. So you said I, I, my, the way I kind of earned my stripes as a play-by-play -play broadcaster early on was doing anything. Oh, you want field hockey, wrestling, whatever. I got it. I've seen it a million times. I've never seen field hockey in my life, but I said, yes, anyways, and uh, watch <laughs> old YouTube games of uh, like Olympics gone by so that I could learn the sport to begin with. Uh, and uh, soccer was just one of those sports that kind of fell to me pretty early on because college soccer is not that big of a deal relative to some of the other stuff like basketball, right? And men's lacrosse, uh, mm -hmm. they're just slightly bigger deals, softball. And so it fell to me pretty early on. And then I just, I took it. And as I progressed, right. And now I'm not, you know, necessarily doing a lot of field hockey anymore or those or wrestling. I haven't done in years now. And I progressed into doing like you know, the spring game, baseball, those sorts of things. Uh, soccer just kind of stuck because it, like it's just logical that I would that I would be there. But I really kicked that focus on, I think, with the the YouTubing and the streaming being based on a soccer video game has has mm -hmm. kind of turned that up to 12. But there's still a lot of different uh, play by play broadcasting is a hobby now. It used to be my job, and then the YouTubing and streaming took off. And so the is a hobby. There are still different opportunities. My most recent, like, actual event broadcast was women's lacrosse. Before that, it was, you know, basketball. There was just a lot of – there's still a lot of those opportunities out there, and I still have to stay well-versed in all these different sports. But if the soccer's there, I'm probably there too. Absolutely. I I love that explanation. And, and just to tell everyone that, that doesn't know, on YouTube, you have over 182,000 subscribers as well as 91,000 on Twitch as of, I believe, a couple hours ago when I checked. it's You've gained a, a very reputable following, and, and I think it's absolutely amazing. And, and I congratulate you for that because that's something that you don't see a lot of Americans doing. And I love the passion that you bring into it and just the overall attitude towards it. It's just awesome. No, I appreciate that. I, I am aware that I am at the forefront of trying <laughs> to be an American soccer guy, basically. And there just aren't a lot of those out there on the internet yet. Yeah. You, you have the casual interviewer when it comes to like Alexi Lawless and I believe it's Taylor Twellman to name a, a few names, but yeah, there there is a pasture that people can go out and grow, and and you've really flourished when it comes to that, and it's it's just amazing. So going on to another question, you and your team, you ended up making a patch to the game Football Manager that you play, and overall it was just a complete revamp of the American League system itself. I kind of wanted to ask a question along that, but if you could be the acting MLS president, what right. changes would you make with what you did in, in that tweak that you would implicate or not implicate, you would actually do in real life? I Look, the MLS is in a tough situation. Like For those that don't know, if if you own a team in the MLS, which is Major League Soccer, you you bought a piece of the league, right? You bought a piece of MLS. You didn't buy the actual team. And so mm -hmm. the question is, how do you take a league that is insular, where people, teams, can't get promoted and relegated, 
and turn it into one where that can happen. Because as we've seen, basically every successful league in the world and league system in the world that develops world-class players and clubs uses promotion and relegation as a competitive incentive. <laughs> and so I think the first trick is in the kind of short-term plan that you would have to institute. Because obviously it would be, I would hit all the buzzwords if I just came in here and said, oh, well, we need promotion and relegation. And I think you need a regional second division and those sorts of things to make it work. It, I can't do that. Yeah. The short term solution is to find a way to untangle the ownership of a piece of the league to ownership of individual clubs. And I don't know. I would be lying to you if I said I did the financial jujitsu you'd have to do in order to make that happen. Because I know that the owners uh, in the way that their clubs run with the salary caps and everything all have different amounts of money in their personal pockets. And I, I have a feeling the league would have to institute some sort of buyout in order to make that happen. And maybe to pay that off, you bring the USL in and say, hey, if you help pay this buyout so that we can provide each of these clubs that were their actual owners and they don't own a piece of the league, then we can start talking about connecting our leagues. It's like part of a 10-year plan to kind of get everybody ready for it. That's what I would try and institute. That would be the short term thing is sitting down with the owners of the clubs and going, look, I think promotion and relegation is a long term boon for the league and the clubs. And in order to do that, we have to untangle this financial monster that we've created in order to make the league successful in the first place. Well, now it is successful. So what do we need to do to kind of take it to the next level? And that's it. So that would be I'd get a nice big boardroom with gold plated seats for their vanity and I'd sit all of these really rich people down and be like, okay, here we go. I'm going to need you guys to uh, to do this. And some of you are going to lose and some of you are going to really win from this. Yes. I I think you segued that perfectly and just bringing in the how much the MLS has really and truly grown. It's something that not a lot of people have actually looked at. And it's just amazing to see that. Just in the 60s and 70s, we we did have a league here in the United States, but it was nowhere near what it is today. And I mean, even that league that was in the 60s and 70s ended up folding because it just couldn't make up enough money to be able to survive. And now you have the MLS now, and it seems pretty healthy to me. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, the MLS is within the top five leagues in the United States to watch. Uh, when it comes to basketball, football, and all that, which that's mm -hmm. still pretty incredible. Probably a couple of years ago before that, it was it was under that, but we have really grown into it. And that's where it kind of leads me into my next question, because it seems like when it comes to Europeans that we get kind of a negative tag along with, oh, you're an American in the sport of soccer or the sport of football and some of the examples like Manchester United calling their assistant manager Ted Lasso as well as Jesse Lingard's brother yeah yeah as well as Jesse Lingard's brother saying that the Glazers don't even know what an offside trap is and it's I know that you have had a lot of experience or or you've had experience talking to some of these European teams because being with your Twitch, you have a save with Florensdorfer, which is in the Austrian league. And you've talked with them 
And I would automatically assume that that's a pretty positive outlook when it comes to the conversation there. But what else have you seen, at least from your aspect of that? I think that there are certain clubs that get it and certain clubs that are not. Now, I'm going to make sure that I completely understand the question. Sure. But if I if I go way off the rails, then just bump me back on. Sure. The the Internet has kind of changed the game, and I think most clubs are using it in a pretty standard way. I think where Florensdorfer really changed the game for me was I've done a couple saves, you know, with a couple of clubs and, I, and they've maybe responded to a tweet here or there, but they never really did anything. Right. And Florensdorfer, I start the save and two days later, I get a message on Instagram like, yo, we want to send you a care package. I'm like, what? you know, what? And and they've done also, you know, they've invited me to go to the start of their next season, which I think I'm going to take them up on. And I think that is that's super cool. Not only is it cool for me in just a personal sense that like you get to enjoy that, but I think for their club, it takes the team that I'm managing from an abstract to a team that a significant portion of the people that follow me are now at least checking on the scores of Florida Starfers. So I think you're asking about the 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 ability of clubs, the impact that clubs can make by involving people, and particularly Americans. I, you know, that's a long way to ship something just in a logistical sense. Uh, there's a lot more, I think, that clubs could could do there. But then again, uh, on the flip side of it, you also have that contention of the Internet that is essentially, you know, the equivalent of somebody with 500 followers on Instagram asking for a free stay at a hotel for the exposure. Right. Which is, like, yeah, if you're if you're managing a club, you're going to end up with a million people who are uh, like, you know, they have to get a YouTube channel where they compare kits and, you know, they have 200 subscribers, which like if that's your hobby, obviously, that's that that's like really fun. And I hope you're enjoying that. But at the same mm-hmm. time, you probably don't have enough financial incentive for a club to go and ask them, hey, can you send me a free kit? You know, like, <laughs> well, probably not. So. You need a filtering system, and it can be annoying going through that filtering system, but I do feel like most clubs are underutilizing the modern internet, and it'll be interesting to see. I'll, I'm, I'll be involved in it, I'm sure, how it changes over time. Absolutely. Absolutely. That that was a really good explanation when it comes to uh, the connection when it comes to Florensdorfer. And to wrap it back to the different perspectives as well when it comes to Europe, do you, what what do you think it would take for Americans to get the stigma off of us of how Was that the other part of the question? I got absolutely yes, lost in that, that question. Okay. That's okay. Thank that's you. okay. The, yes. And and but yes, how do you think we can get this stigma oh, off man. of us? The the it just happens over time, right? Mm-hmm. Americans are inherently annoying right like we 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 are annoying and the reason we're annoying speaking as a history major mm-hmm. is we're we're new right mm-hmm. like europe's been dealing with each other for a very long time right even china's been involved in that conversation as this kind of amorphous blob over in the east that exists with a ton of people resources and culture and everything else we are new we're like this hodgepodge explosion and we hadn't involved ourselves in for a while was soccer, right? Like we we just hadn't. So now that we are, right, it's kind of hard for people to to kind of wrap their minds around because they have this conception of Americans being kind of self-absorbed, not looking outward necessarily. Uh, you get a lot a lot of the perception of America that I run into is the you know 
rah-rah, fire the shotguns, wave the American flag sort of sort of thing. And what I always, I do my absolute utmost to kind of change that and be like, look, I'm a nerd. I can name every country in the world. I've been to 38 countries. Yeah, I'm, an, <clears throat> I'm not what they think of as a typical American. I try and be very world, worldly, you know, like the opposite of what I was just describing, very self-absorbed and looking inward. I try and be the opposite of that. And I try and push against a lot of that. And I think that the longer the United States continues to be good at soccer, because like, honestly, we are, we're top 15 team in the world in the rankings right now. Mm-hmm. We have every title in CONCACAF, which is our continent, you know, North Central America and the Caribbean. We yep. have every soccer title there over Mexico, over the Caribbean nations, over the Central American nations. We own every single one. Uh, and I mean, I say every single one, there's literally two, but we own both of them. And (laughs) (laughs) if we keep doing that, and it's just going to be these world cups every four years that hopefully we make every time where we get in there and, uh, and, and we, and we make an impact And, and then in between those world cups, having players in Europe that are normalizing, Americans playing soccer because it, I mean, it was so common that TIFO, which is an excellent YouTube channel. If you haven't watched it, TIFO football, uh, that they have mm-hmm. made a video. They made a video of why are there so many Germans in the Bund- or so many Americans in the Bundesliga, which is Germany's league. And, and it was such a popular question. They made a video with that title. Right. And so people are interested and intrigued as to why the U S all of a sudden seems to care about soccer. And I'm always saying, well, look, FIFA exploded. The video game FIFA exploded. And everybody played soccer. They just stopped at some point in their life. I mean, you played in your church league or something, and then everybody stops when they're nine for whatever reason. I don't know why that's the way that our country seems to work. But now more yeah. and more people are are playing it, and the MLS is is growing. And now we've got this fresh wave of superstars that's bringing interest into the game. And I, I think and if you're looking for a moment that'll break the stigma, I think the 2026 World Cup will go a really long way to – to breaking that stigma because I don't think the rest of the world really knows how much the United States cares about soccer. And, you know, the next world cups in Qatar, which might as well be Narnia. So it's not like you're going to have a crazy representation of fans from any particular country, unless the UAE happens to qualify alongside Qatar and the world cup in the U S in 2026 is going to be an explosive event. I mean, there's going to be millions and millions of people involved and you'll, you'll see just, you know, kind of the American flag everywhere in a soccer sense. And so I think after that, the perception of Americans in the game will be, it'll be different. Not to mention our team at that point is going to be incredibly good, which Mm -hmm. is going to be fun to watch, but it's a process. It's a very, it's a two steps forward, one step back, slow process of us, of just exposure. It's like the first, you know, now they're reckoning with the United States as a soccer nation it, it, and before this, like the Clint Dempsey landed Donovan era where we were in the World Cup every time those teams were like, well, you know, America's trying its best or whatever. But now it's a whole other level that our players mm-hmm. are at where we actually have belief and we have the world ranking and we have the annoying people on Twitter that are actually rooting and talking smack for the U.S. But it, it'll get there. It'll take time. That's essentially what I've been saying. It's Absolutely. Just- it's it's slow. It, it's painfully slow to get people to accept it. Yeah, it's that is something that I've noticed as well. Being, I've I've been watching and and picking up every single morsel of soccer that I can ever since I was about eleven, twelve years old. Because I mean, all of us 
most likely play soccer when we're younger than that, just to say, hey, we played a sport. But when it comes to the overall intrigue into it, you're 100% right. It's it's a very slow process that people like you and me, we are trying to help along and, and push us along to try to, to get that further than where it needs to be or, or than where it is now. Right. And that's an absolutely great way to explain it and a good segue into this next question for you. Being that you you have YouTube and Twitch for Football Manager, how much of an impact do you think Football Manager can have on the United States? Uh, Probably Football Manager doesn't market itself for the United States. I mean, it is called Football Manager, right? There is no soccer manager iteration. There's no better example that their target audience is England, right? And then people (laughs) that are watching the Premier League. So I, I think football manager is a game that you will know that soccer's really taken hold in the United States when a lot of people play it, but it is never going to be like FIFA is always leading the charge and whatever it's going to be called in the future. The name of FIFA is changing What's like EAFC or the EA sports soccer game mm-hmm. is always going to lead that charge. And then I think football manager rides that coattail to where, you know, if you get annoyed with FIFA because it's too easy or there's too many 12 year olds that are spending their parents money and then kicking your backside all over the place. It, it, whether, whatever happens to drive you off it, that'll drive you to football manager. And then a few people will find football manager off that. Now I do take pride in kind of driving football manager into people's consciousness and exposing them to the game of football manager. And I've got heard a lot of stories from people that watch the video that that is something that happened for them that they were exposed to football manager through the videos because somehow some way that I packaged the video, that's just what happened. And I want to continue to do that and continue. Yeah. Cause I obviously think it's a fantastic game, but I think it would be a little, it would be going a little too far in the other direction to say that football manager is going to, going to lead the charge in any way. Absolutely. I I think if football manager can have any any impact on the United States it would be it would benefit us greatly honestly because this is something that both you and I being football manager players me obviously not as good as you but when it comes to the game <laughs> I mean, itself it, it's, it's like playing poker I'm sure it, you know exactly like... exactly it is so intricate and so detailed it's not even funny. <laughs> It is. And that's what it draws people in that really like that kind of intricate detail to it. It's they, they, they it, like they like doing that kind of thinking. I yeah. Mean, it, maybe maybe it's just sick people like us that just <laughs> like staring at spreadsheets all day. I don't know. But, you know, it's it's I don't care. It's fun. Absolutely. It's it's mental torment <laughs> every single day. It's But no, it's it's an amazing game as much as as I rag on it. It's something that I thoroughly enjoy and and obviously you do as well being that you have your youtube and and twitch as well and that's a really good segue for the next couple of questions that i have for you out of your youtube and twitch career quote unquote Mm. what has been your favorite achievement so far and if that's too hard to pinpoint what are your top three Now, this isn't an achievement, but uh, do you know Terrence Boyd is? If you don't, that's fine. I don't believe so, no. Okay, fair enough. He has 16 caps for the U.S. national team. So relevant 
individual for the U.S. national team that I remember at a certain point in my life, he was like one of those potential strikers for the U.S. national team from the German leagues. He played in the Bundesliga for a few years. Now he's in the German second division, but he's like a good professional soccer player. And he played for the U.S. national team uh, in a match against Italy. I think he went to a World Cup as like a bench player. He's one of those guys. <laughs> and I got a message from him on Twitter about him playing FM as like a question. And I was like, oh, could I interview you just for a video? I think it'd be really cool to talk. And he said, yeah. And it's some reason it didn't hit me until we got on the call, right? We got on the call and, and he picks up and he's like, whoa, this is really cool. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And he's like, oh, I'm just a really big fan. Oh. I was like, I was like, what? No, you're just sitting there and you're like, this guy is somebody I used to, he was on FIFA. Right. Well, he still is on FIFA, I think. And he's like, you know, I used to talk about this guy in conversations with my friends. It's like, oh, well, you know, if he develops a little more, he'd be straight. Right. And I watched him play for the U.S. national team. And now I am sitting here talking to him and he is nervous. That, that was he. And, you know, he's nervous talking to me. That was probably the first moment that I went, wow, this has really gone a little farther than I thought uh, with the whole like YouTube thing. Uh, so that that wasn't a, a milestone. The, the biggest, the coolest milestone, even though I'm not a milestone oriented person. So you don't see me tweeting out like, oh, my God, 500 more followers until I get to a thousand, you know, like that sort of stuff. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but was 100,000 subs is definitely that's the big one. You get a plaque from YouTube. It's like the first time YouTube acknowledges you're alive. And that that's just really, really neat. It's this threshold that as you get close to it, everybody starts talking about it. And I really just kind of wanted it to be over. And I knew, as I said, I was like, if I stop making videos right now, a year and a half from now, I get to 100,000 subscribers just because of the way it works. But uh, we got there and uh, it was really, th that was cool. Like getting the plaque, opening the box with the plaque and it was definitely, was cool. So if we're talking out of all the different milestones that are there, that and then Twitch partners, kind of the other big one, because <laughs> um, I streamed on Twitch. Uh, and for those that don't know what that is, uh, it's this kind of YouTube gaming platform. It's uh, where Fortnite kind of it helped amplify Fortnite Ninja. If you ever heard somebody in your life say that name, was a, <laughs> a Twitch streamer and, and is again after a long saga. Uh, and that's that's where I started before I started making kind of YouTube videos. And so I'd been on there a long time and always dreamed about being a a Twitch partner where you average over 75 viewers and then you, you, know, you get a check mark next to your name and you're like one of the cool kids all of a sudden. Mm -hmm. And uh, I finally got it. And it was really, it was, it was the same as every other milestone. You know, I finally got it when it just made sense for me to get it. Like I really just kind of needed it to happen because it, it gives you different perks. Like people can watch in different resolutions because that takes more server space and you know, stuff that just makes sense. And I'd been waiting forever, and I think I was averaging like 120 viewers at the time, and so I was well over the threshold, and it finally came through. And the and, and the, the best part about it was that it came through the morning that I got my wisdom teeth removed. And so <laughs> I was sitting, and it was during COVID, right? It's, this is like it's one of the craziest stories. It's like May of 2020, COVID hardcore, but I have my wisdom teeth removal. <laughs> And so you can't be in the office. So we're sitting in the car. I'm about to go in for like maxiofacial surgery. I don't know if I'm using that word right, but it sounds cool. And I'm sitting there on my phone. My mom's just kind of sitting next to me, you know, like this calm before the storm. I get a 
text that I can go into the office to get my face cut open. And I get an email that I've been accepted to the Twitch partner program. I just look at my mom and I'm like, you'll never guess what happened right now. Like <laughs> 10 minutes before the surgery starts to get like all four of my wisdom teeth out. I got accepted to the Twitch partner program. There's a great tweet of like, I just, it was like a, a short video clip. I was like, well, I was a little nervous when I woke up this morning and I didn't know it was because I was going to get Twitch partner today. It was something, <laughs> something stupid like that. But that was that was one of those moments where I was like, well, we really did get a nice job of uh, balancing the good with the bad here. But, so there, that, I, I believe I actually got to three on accident there. So there we go. No, I I loved it. I I loved all the stories there. That was absolutely amazing. And and wow, what what coincidence when it comes yeah, to yeah. And, and that's not like hyperbole. It was ten minutes before I was getting put under on anesthesia. Wow. <laughs> I got the text that I got into the Twitch partner program. And now I'm going to the Twitch summit, which is like two days from now. Oh, wow. Cool. Um, you, you are very busy. <laughs> but I'm always, I, I, I've come to the realization I'm never going to have a vacation for the rest of my life. And I'm okay with that because I really love what I do, but it's definitely, you're all, there is always something going on. I'm always, busy. there's always a video, something broke. It's not like, Somebody needs a thumbnail. Like it's just a, it's a beast. I've created a beast, and now I've just like saddled up, and I'm trying to hang on. Absolutely. Well, I, as I've I've said before, you're doing a fantastic job of it, and and it's just amazing. And another good segue into my next question, with the demographic uh, that you have on Twitch and YouTube, I don't know how much into the numbers you can get, but. Is there any shock demographic that you have that you just didn't expect at all when it comes to your YouTube and, and Twitch? No, I I think it, when you first see this stuff, it, it's interesting, right? When you go like, well, it's 99% dudes. But then the more you think about it, you go, well, that makes sense. Right? Yeah. Like, it's not only just a video game. It is a it's like a sports video game. Mm-hmm. And so the, the demographic is 99%. Uh, I think it's actually 987 dudes now mm. uh which dudes actually a gender neutral term as i've learned recently so oh wow. uh, guys yeah i know so now i'm just going to use dudes actually all the time um yeah. the the most surprising thing i think to me was how diverse the viewer base is right so uh, about 45 percent of the viewer base is in england or the u.s right it's about 10 percent u.s about 35 to 40 percent England, it fluctuates a little bit, right? But it's usually between five to ten percent U.S. and thirty-five to forty percent England. Wow. The rest of that is all over the world, like all of the. I think it's. I can actually pull this up. I haven't done a deep geographical dive in a little while, but the geographical stuff is what's just super, super crazy. Um, let's see. I am so bad at navigating this. That's okay. Like, oh my god, the the YouTube stuff. Top geographics: United Kingdom, thirty four percent; U.S. ten percent, and then nothing else is above four and a half percent. Wow. So that, that's what forty four percent of the viewers are in the United Kingdom or the U.S. And then it's uh, all here are all the ones at least one percent of the viewer base. This is always what blows my mind. As I say, okay, more than half are just all over the world in all these random places: Germany, Portugal, Australia, Netherlands, Denmark, Sweden, Norway, Canada, Ireland, Poland, Brazil, Indonesia, France, Greece, Belgium, Turkey, and Spain are all at least one percent. Uh, one percent. Wow. 
And so that's just like all over the place and, you know, a bunch of different continents. Indonesia always surprises me. There's a very healthy Indonesia Zealand fan base, which is awesome. They message me about how the Indonesian national team is doing all the time. I love it. Wow. By far the biggest surprise to me is that 55% are not in the two countries I expect my viewers to be in, really. That that is a shock demographic. It's holy cow. And and to know that you have a following in Indonesia, that's that's I with me playing football manager, I know that some of the times I do go I start my career because sometimes I do journeyman's like series and, and start mm. with zero anything. And, and that's sometimes where I start. And it, that's, that's oh, hilarious. I've managed in Indonesia too. It is a long way away. Oh, we're not in Kansas anymore. <laughs> no, we're not. <laughs> oh my Lord. And with that though, I did want to ask, and I, if I, if I butch this, I apologize, but your persona that you have on twitch is clive i believe hmm. it is clive yeah <laughs> okay i'm so glad i got that right and with clive have you had any comments about clive from your british base on how he is or how he acts i think i other like no so for the <laughs> clive is a so I am a copycat. My just the way that my brain works. Uh, my <laughs> brain's just it's an absolute copycat brain for whatever reason. <laughs> and so I will replicate what is around me. And so as a sports broadcaster, what is around me are the people broadcasting the games. So that's really how I learned how to broadcast sports. Is I would my dad loves watching sports, right? So we would watch sports, and I would replicate what I heard. Well, what I heard for soccer was an English accent. And so I would legitimately, like if I was practicing broadcasting, which I'd always just be playing video games, it's an excellent way to practice. And so I'd just turn the announcers off. So I'm playing mad and I'm in there like, oh, touchdown, you know, like my mom would hear it down the hall. It was a perpetual annoyance. It was really funny. She used to take videos and send it to me. Like, can you bring it down a little bit? <laughs> and, uh, you know, the answer was no, obviously. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's how we ended up here. Uh, But for soccer, it was more, you know, oh, what a lovely delivery and a fabulous finish, because that's what I was hearing when I was watching TV. And so that's what Clive is just brought to light in the public space. And I I think I've honestly heard a lot of bad things about Clive. Right. (laughs) I've turned him into this whole character. Right. Is, Is you can only do kind of in a performance art over time. And he, he like if he's if I'm forget to bring Clive up for something, I'll just I'll, I'll say he was at the pub drinking or something. And I, I but but I've never heard any any bad comments. I will get that he sounds Australian sometimes, but that's just not true. I feel like these people have never been to Australia. I take a lot of pride in trying to get the accent right over time. And like and I've I've lived in in England for a few months at one point in my life, and so I've. Uh, I I really tried that whole time I was there to be to get my English accent to a level that I could blend in without anybody like noticing me. And I think I am there. So I, I, I you know, I don't take too kindly to these people saying I uh, accent's not good, but that's the only thing I ever hear about it. Well, that that's absolutely phenomenal. And you you brought up a really good point, And I did want to take a little side detour here. You had spent a couple months in England. And when I was researching to interview you that was just something that just 
clicked in my head that I was just like, holy cow. He actually went over to England. Is is there any way that you can elaborate a little bit over that? Yeah, I always uh, I've had the travel bug. It's genetic. Uh, both my my parents love to travel uh, when they got married. They made a deal. They'd leave the country every year. So even when I was a super little kid, I mean, we were going to you know places up into like 38 countries. And, and so I've always loved the travel and I wanted to study abroad, but I didn't want to miss a semester. So I did like a summer semester <laughs> and I actually got accepted into a program to go to China and work as an English language media intern in China for the summer between my third and fourth year at Virginia. I went to the University of Virginia, go who's. And I went back to my mom and th this is a very loaded conversation. So I am friends with the former girlfriend of um, Otto Warmbier, who's the guy that went to North Korea and, and died because Holy he got cow. like arrested and put in the internment camp or whatever. Yeah. And I never, I never knew him. I met the girlfriend through a mutual friend. We've been friends for years now, just, and it was after he disappeared. So I didn't actually know him, but he, that whole story and that whole situation was like involved in my life. And so, you know, my family knew about it intimately and all that stuff. And so I, I told my mom, I was going to China and she was like, no, you're not. And I was like, what do you mean? I, like, because, because my family is, they're very adventurous. Like it's not a super crazy thing for me to say like, Oh, I want to do my study abroad in China. And I got accepted and I was, I can't remember what company I was going to work for, but it was like done. It was done and dusted. It was already, I just needed them to basically be like, yes, we will agree to do that. And uh, she, she's like, you're not doing that. I was like, why? She's like, you're going to try and go to North Korea. And I was like, so? <laughs> um, so yeah, believe it or not, I lost that argument given the present circumstances surrounding that situation. And mm -hmm. uh, there was one study abroad left that, like the application just happened to close a few days later than everything else. And I remember I sat, it was due at 5 PM that day and I had a class and I sat in the class and had to write like an essay for Oxford. It was, the, it was the, it was this Oxford exchange with Virginia. Wow. And I wrote the essay in the class and sent it in and I'm like, no shot. And then of course I got in. So <laughs> I, I was like, yeah, sure. So I just went to Oxford and it was, it was super cool. Uh, what I didn't know is that Oxford University is actually 37 separate colleges in the city of Oxford that work together. What? And so, yeah. So it, well, because it's, oh, you know, it's a thousand years old or whatever. And so yeah. it, it's actually a bunch of different colleges that, you know, some are women only, some are men only, some only work with engineering, you know, it's all different colleges mm -hmm. and they're under the umbrella of Oxford University. And so rather confusingly, I went to university college at Oxford. Uh, Univ, as it's called, which is one of the broader colleges. And I took classes in history and politics, mm -hmm. which was really, really interesting. And you st I stayed in one of the courtyards. You had like a porter. So when you walked in, uh, can you imagine like um, a college in the United States? You're like staggering back to your dorm room at whatever hour. And there's a porter there. Some dude, <laughs> some dude in like a waistcoat that goes, you need anything, Mr. Shannon? And you're like, no. Uh, like a bed, please. Yeah, it was, it's like this big wall, and you open the door, and you feel like you just walked onto the set of like, I can't, what was the name of that English show? Oh my goodness! Name any in, in generic English Downton Abbey. Goodness, 
you walk out of the set of Downton Abbey and this guy pops out of the wall and he's like, do you need me someone to take your bags for you? Like, uh, yes, I think. Is that disrespectful to say no? Uh, and, and, and we get to my room. My room had a piano in it. I'm like, what? Yeah, it was. It's this kind of just wild stuff. I'm on the third floor. I'm overlooking this courtyard. Right, there's some shrine from the not shrine, some little chapel from the 1200s in the corner, and it's just surrounded by this wild history. And I've got this little piano, like this. It's an electric piano, but it is in a giant, like grand piano case. It's I don't know what's going on there. And I have a fireplace, but I don't have a bathroom. And the bathroom's in the basement, and I'm on the third floor. So it's just dichotomy between like oh no yeah because the building's super old, so the bathroom's in the basement. But I also have a piano in my room, and so it was a really really cool cool experience. Oxford's a cool town, a super busy tourist hub, which I guess isn't surprising. It's wild. You 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 live there, and you wait for the tourist buses to leave. It's like I was becoming a local that was getting met because the tourist buses come up from London. It's about two hours north of London. And they get there at about 11. And then all of a sudden, the street is completely full of human beings. And then they leave at five. And then it's a lovely little town again. And so you're just like waiting for the the, the ebb and flow, like the tide of tourists to, to, to leave. And then it's the best Thai food I've ever had, too, which is wild. Was there really? a little place called Chiang Mai, if you ever make it to Oxford and happen to remember that. Okay, okay. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to remember that. I'm, just, I'm living in. We, I'm. I'm. I'm going through memories I haven't gone through in a while, and I'm just hitting the random highlights here. Well, I. I loved it. It and and that. It obviously now that if you go to study abroad in Oxford, there's the mental note there. There's a give and take. You you may get a piano in your room, but you have to go down to the basement for the bathroom. So, it's is it give and take there. And <laughs> what would you rather have a piano or a bathroom? It's a tough question to answer, really. Well, I, I think a, the majority of Americans would probably go for a bathroom, I hope. Majority, <laughs> but, yeah. Now, I did learn a John Legend song I've since forgot. So really productive use of time. Oh, what? Well, I mean, hey, I, you, I, did, you I didn't it. really know how to play piano, but I was like, well, I have one. I got to spend. I got to do something with this. It's in my room. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, Going back to the YouTube and Twitch, I had one more question for you when it came to the streamer showdown. So with that, I have to ask, being a ex-soccer player yourself, you played at George Steinbrenner, Steinbrenner High School. <laughs> George Steinbrenner High School, yeah. So, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm a Floridian myself. I can't even say that. So... <laughs> That's but, not good. No, I mean, really, if you were a New Yorker, that would be the because he was the oh. Yankees owner, you know. But he he uh yeah, he just donated some money to the Florida school system. But it's a public school. They just <laughs> named it after George Steinbrenner for no, I don't know. Yeah, that would the money. Be a... Thanks. Yeah, appreciate him building the school I went to. It was nice. The air conditioning broke sometimes, but you know, it's all right. <laughs> My money talks. <laughs> yeah. But, but it so you you being an ex player goalkeeper you made it to the 4A state championship in Florida and I being that ex soccer player there are special actions and rituals that you can do to feel more confident going into a game is that kind of the same thing that you do at the streamer showdown maybe <laughs> I I don't know is there I I just wanted to ask I I think I'm a 
when I when I played, so my high Steinbrenner, we were really good at at soccer. I was not a huge contributing factor to that. I was the backup goalkeeper, but we were ranked sixth in the country at one point. We had a really good run my last two years there, and I did. I I got third team all county. I got to play because our starting goalkeeper cussed out a ref and got suspended for three months, which you know, awesome. Um, I. I was just, I just winged it. I think when I was playing soccer and when, when it comes to streamer showdown, you have to be much more And what drives me crazy. And this really does drive me crazy because the streamer showdown is this, the, the biggest competitive stage for the game that I play football manager. And I played five sports in high school. I loved playing sports. I was always good, but not great at everything. And uh, I, that was how I worked out, right? I would just play sports and <laughs> sports always have a physical component. Where you can, like, if you're losing, you can just run faster. You, you you can run harder, try harder, get more physical, whatever. Mm-hmm. But football manager, you know, in this online competition, I'm equally as competitive, but I am always frustrated that, and, and this is what makes it really intriguing and challenging for me, is it, you, 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 it's 100% mental, right? So mm-hmm. it, you can't physically influence what is happening. It can't just run harder. You have to think harder you have to be smarter so the ritual to get ready for the streamer showdown is much more intense than preparing to to play a game because i trust my technique i trust my physical preparation for a game like that but there's no such thing in competitive you know in esports basically and so you have to go through the whole mental preparation and you run through the different situations your team could end up in what different tactics are you comfortable playing your team in who goes where? Who covers where? If somebody gets hurt, who goes there? Right, and I'll just fill up a couple pages in my in my notebook, kind of drawing that out. There's a draft part of it where you draft your team. That I, I spend the whole day before the draft going through every you know, searching through the potential players in the draft pool and finding you know, put little different marks next to a name like a star or a squiggly line and those all mean you know they all mean different things like pick him or he's expensive but if you need somebody for this role like those sorts of symbols next to names so it's much harder to prepare for football manager competitively than it, than it was for soccer definitely no doubt wow. about it i'd never thought about it that way but it absolutely is because it's all mental and yeah. oftentimes you will win if you have done more mental preparation than the other person. For in soccer, physically, it's not the case, right? Especially as yeah. a goalkeeper, it totally depends on what shots they get towards me in the first place. Like, I'm not in control of what what is about to happen. I'm just supposed to get in the way. Yeah. Wow. I Peering into the eyes of Zealand, I had no idea about that. It's something that it put a different perspective on me and it, it's hilarious too because playing my games i i don't have that much of a of the mental preparation when it comes to esports obviously because i don't play that but when a situation goes bad i can just go back and restart the game and <laughs> it's, it never happens yeah. but but never. it's that can't happen when it comes to the streamer showdown and and you're 100 percent right it's it's I never thought of it that way, and it, it is 100% all mental. And to go into a little further the streamer showdown, what was it like to win that first time and then follow up with the second time? Because you have won it twice, is that correct? Mm. 
Yes, I, I've won it twice. The first one was a release. The first one was validation. Right, it was the, it was the third showdown ever. Uh, and the first two had been won by a different guy and I'd kind of struggled in the first two. And then all of a sudden, you know, the young American who just burst onto the scene and the YouTube and all of the different narratives. And I, I swooped in and grabbed it. And uh, it was it was an absolute release. I my mom came in with a bottle of vodka. I did a shot. I think I don't it was it was just, you know, it was just kind of like this. Exp- I was dumping water on my head. It was like this explosive celebration. <laughs> It was just, it was just a lot. And it was, it was awesome. I beat my arch nemesis, Dr. Benji in the final who had been talking so much smack and he'd been out playing me the first two. And I finally cooked him and it was awesome. And the second one was pretty recent and it's been going on for a couple of years. And I am invited more often than not, which I'm really thankful for because it is like an invitee tournament. And I, uh, I'd, I'd been around and been competitive and built a good competitive name for myself. I was ranked in the top 10 of whatever the like football manager rankings things were, but I'd never, like you said, I never won it again. And so the, the recent one felt like I didn't celebrate it as much. I didn't, it wasn't like an explosive celebration. It was more of, I just, I knew I should have won. It, like, mm. I know that's a weird but when you do that amount of mental preparation and I, I'd really, I'd gotten embarrassed in the first one, like they, they call it the seasons. And so it's like season one of the new game. I got, I, I just got outplayed. I just wasn't good enough. Mm-hmm. And so I just went, I went so hard on season two and I just knew that I was, I should win. Like I, I, you just have a feeling and I, I'd never had that feeling on football manager in a competitive setting before uh, where I, you know, but you, if you play sports in general, you know what that feeling is like where you just, when you're playing against somebody, you have them in your hand and you're mm-hmm. like, I just know that like I, I, you know, you never sure that you're going to win, but I know I should like, I'm looking at this and I just know I should win. I know <laughs> that I've got the moves. I know what you're trying to do. I know what I'm trying to do. I know that what we've set up and where I'm at is better than where you're at. And that was a really cool feeling, but at the same time, I kind of wish I'd broken out the didn't have my mom here this time to come running into the room. Uh, mm-hmm. Should have paid my roommate five bucks to do the same thing. It would have been funny. Uh, <laughs> so it, was, it wasn't as explosive. It was a completely different experience as a competitor. But at the same time, it also was an announcement that I I've still got it basically, which is always a nice thing to put out there when you've been cold for a little while. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, Fun to dig into well, the competitive mindset. I, I, don't, I don't talk about the streamer showdown that much. Uh, uh-huh. as, is this in, this intense competition, you know, people normally, uh, I don't know. I never thought about it this way. I hadn't picked my own brain on how I felt about the showdown. Well, I'm so glad that I asked then because that's something that, that may not may or may not have been thought about. I'm so glad that I did. And it's, it's so, we're going to have a celebration like the first one, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, you would probably, if I win another one, that'll be, that'll be it. Cause I assumed uh, that I was going to win the next one as well. But of course I made the final, I got all the way to the final and then I lost. It looked like I was about to start a Zealand era. So I definitely need to, I need to fight my way back there. Oh, well, I wish you luck with that. And so for our final question, I wanted to, 
leave it as a little softball question for the final fi- final final little bit. If you weren't in the world of broadcasting, would you be a football manager or a player? Oh, I think I, I I don't think I'd be the type of person to commit myself to the lifestyle of coaching your way up. Right. I, I think I would have been a player. I would have pursued that harder. Because like I said, even though I wasn't the reason we were sixth in the country, I did get a lot of exposure and played a lot. And I absolutely love playing. I play in men's leagues all the time. Um, everybody always needs a goalkeeper for their men's league team. And so I always, <laughs> always just jump in. I'm on like three teams. And uh, it, that's that's a very fun, fun thing for me to do to keep it alive. And uh, I, I, I think I would have been a player. I do think that certain elements of being really good at football manager would contribute to being a good manager in real life, but knowing myself and how easily I get distracted and those sorts of things that taking the five to 10 years to be, you know, the equipment manager for a really small team and kind of work your way up from there uh, is not something that I would, uh, that I would dedicate myself to. So I think it would be a lot more likely that I became some sort of player. Like if I grew up in England, I ended up playing in the fifth tier or something because I, you know, that sort of thing. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I, I love that. That was it. And it explains the overall work ethic when it comes to becoming a player or a manager, you you have to dedicate a lot to it. And it's, it's not an easy thing to do pretty much like any other sport in the world when Mm. it, when it comes to it. And, and just a follow-up question, and and we'll go ahead and wrap it up here. Is is there any team in particular that, that you would have wanted to play for if you had the ability to play for? Oh, I think if if I did, let's okay. So I I got a trial offer from a club in the top flight at Armenia out of high school. Let's say I take that hypothetically, make the team since a transfer to the English fourth division from that team and then climb my way up. I think the most surreal that that would be the hypothetical situation here. I think the most surreal team to play for, for me just personally is a, is, is a a kid that grew up in the United States. And I know obviously you did too, where Mm -hmm. we, we kind of learned soccer and then taught it to our parents basically. Mm -hmm. Uh, the, the the most surreal team to play for for me in that situation would be Barcelona. And I don't know if I can actually put a finger on why. And I'm absolutely certain I would have had to have rewired my brain in a really particular way at an earlier age to even have a shot to get to the ability level necessary to play for Barcelona. But in the full hypothetical, that's just that that's that's the club that would be just ridiculously special it's probably just growing up with Messi being there and them just being the most skilled brilliant team in the world i think it would be a surreal experience it'd be a surreal experience to play for a lot of teams but barcelona above the rest barcelona takes the cake mm-hmm. wow and all the research i had zero idea with the whole trial obviously with you not accepting well, it's not it, something I mean, that's like advertised a lot because it yeah really matter now but <laughs> Well, I think that's still incredible, though. It's, it's, I'm glad that you highlighted that, though. It's What, a, what an amazing interview. And uh, we're going to go ahead and wrap it up here. Mr. Zeeland, did you want to promote anything that you have upcoming or, or anything like that? No, I, I, if you <laughs> appreciate you listening, if you enjoyed it, uh, I'm on Twitch. Is 
you know, Zealand. I'm on YouTube as Zealand if you want to check out the stuff you're talking about. But I, I just appreciate you having me on. Absolutely, absolutely. And yeah, that's going to end it for this week's episode, guys. I hope you guys enjoyed it, and I will see you guys back next week. Stay safe, have fun, love soccer, and I'll see you guys next week. Ciao, everyone.